Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, it is the Christmas season, and with it being the Christmas season, we are having this celebration of joy to the world because the Lord has come. And last week we began a sermon series looking at why we can have joy in Jesus at Christmas time. Today we're going to continue that series. Last week we looked at Psalm chapter 98. Today we're going to be looking at two different conversations that happened in Luke's gospel. Uh, But before we look at those two conversations, I want to just set this up for you by just... uh, acknowledging a reality for many of us. First of all, how many of you are parents? If you're a parent, raise your hand. Many hands are up. And so one of the things that I have learned about being a parent is that my memory is better. Now, some of you might be going, that's not true, pastor. Um, But it is, and at least it is selectively. What I mean by that is, as a parent, you remember things that other people say about your kids. Do I get any nods and amens to that? You remember the things that others say about your kids. If somebody speaks a word of blessing over your kid, you remember that forever, don't you? I know that that just about a month ago, there was a cross-country banquet at Norman High, and the coaches gathered the team together and parents, and they they said some comments about the team. They said some comments about a number of the runners, and I'm guessing they said something about most of the people there in the room, but but I don't remember any of that. But I promise you, when they got to speak to my son, I remember everything that they said. And I will treasure those comments for a long, long time. See, we remember when people speak words of blessing over our kids. You probably have similar stories in your life. Similarly, if someone speaks negatively about your child, it's hard to forget that, isn't it? Now, we may be able to forgive and forget pretty easy when it comes to ourselves. But when somebody says something about our kid, it's it's really painful and it's difficult for us. You see, we have a tendency to, to treasure up or, or to hang on to, in a negative way, the things spoken about our children. I believe this is not just something that is true of us as American parents, but I think it's something that is true of parents in general. At least it's been true of parents for a couple of thousand years. Because when we look at the Christmas account, we see that Mary remembered and treasured a number of things about the birth of her son. And many of the things that Mary treasured are conversations that she had with others, words of blessing that were spoken about her child by others in those days surrounding the birth of Jesus. You know, Luke chapter 2 lets us know that Mary treasured up these things in her heart. And I'm so thankful that she did because we found out about them because she treasured them in her heart. See, God inspired through the work of the Holy Spirit, Luke, who was a traveling companion of Paul, to spend some time in the Middle East while Paul was imprisoned over in Caesarea. And during that time, he would have had access to a number of different eyewitnesses to the work of Jesus. And one of the eyewitnesses he would have had access to would have been Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think that's why we see in Luke's gospel so many accounts that only Mary would have seen in real time. Things like the angel appearing to her in her bedroom and and letting her know that that she was going to be the mother of Jesus. And conversations like we're going to see today 
in the balance of our time. Mary treasured these things in her heart, these positive words of blessing. And as they are shared with us in Luke's gospel, friends, you and I can be blessed by them as well, because there's a reason why God preserved these texts for us. And so we're going to look at them today. And we're going to see them in two different sections. We're going to look at them in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. And then we're going to look at them in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Two different conversations. One that happened before Jesus was born, and the other that happened about 33 days after he was born. Two different conversations, two different words of blessing spoken over Jesus that Mary treasured in her heart. We're going to look at them today, and we're going to see what you and I can take away from them as well. The first conversation is the one that happened in Luke 1, verses 39 through 45. And I want us to take away from those verses this great truth. God is with us through us. God is with us through us. Now, where do we get that idea? Well, in order for us to explore this idea a little more, even before we read these verses, I want us to remember uh, the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, what does that word mean? This is a real thing. Even if you're at home looking at a computer screen, shout it out. And if you're here in the room, what does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. You all speak Hebrew. This is awesome. God with us. That's what it means. The the with us God. That is this name Emmanuel. And this name Emmanuel, or, or a nickname if you will, was something that was attributed to Jesus 700 years before he was born in Bethlehem. We see this in... Uh, the, the prophecy that Isaiah gives in chapter 7 and verse 14, when he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, that same name Emmanuel and this same prophecy from Isaiah is attributed to Jesus. And so one of the nicknames of Jesus, not his given name, not the name that he went by by his friends, that was Jesus, but a nickname or a title, something that he was, was God with us, or the name Emmanuel. Now, this is not just a title, and it didn't just mean Jesus was a good guy. It meant that Jesus was literally God who was with his people. This is something that is made quite clear in John chapter 1 and verse 14 when it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When people looked on Jesus, they saw God himself. Jesus was among them. He was with them. He was God with us. And Jesus arrived as God with us when he was conceived in the womb of Mary. Something that happened in the verses immediately preceding the verses we're going to look at today. They're the immediate context of Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In the verses right before that, the angel shows up and tells Mary in no uncertain terms that she will conceive and have a child that will be in a miraculous way. Though she had never slept with a man, she would have a child, and this child would be a a product of the Holy Spirit who would ultimately be the Son of God, Jesus Christ. She finds out this news that God with us was going to come through her. And what happens next is what we see in verses 39 through 45. So if you've got a Bible, turn there to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. 
It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so we have in these verses what happened next after Mary found out that she was pregnant with Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Mary have God with her? This is a real question. Did Mary have God with her? How would you answer that? Yes. And and how was God with her, at least in one way? By Jesus being in her womb. From the moment of conception. Jesus didn't, as Greg reminded us of earlier, didn't become God later on. But at the moment of conception... God was with Mary. But you know, it's interesting. When Mary is, conceives and, and has this baby inside of her womb, it happened in real time. That means that there was a nine-month period of the baby being in her womb. Now, in the early days of pregnancy, how is it that someone knows that they're pregnant? Well, Sometimes you might not know for a little while until maybe you start to show or until the baby begins to kick. But in the early days of Jesus being with Mary, she wasn't showing and he wasn't kicking. So how is it that God reminded Mary in that moment that he was still with her? How did he do that? God was with her, no question. But how did God remind her that he was with her? Did he send an angel every day to sit by her side on her bedside and pat her on the knee and tell her it was going to be okay? Well, I don't think so. We don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that would have been something she would have treasured. That might have been something that would have made it in the book. There's no mention of that. So how is it that the Lord took care of Mary in those moments? Well, what we find out is that the Spirit, through the angel, informed Mary that her relative, Elizabeth, living in the hill country of Judah, was also pregnant. Now, Elizabeth, we know from earlier in Luke's gospel, was too old to have a kid. And her womb had been closed for her entire life. She and her husband were old folks. And old folks don't conceive. But God had opened their womb, not through an immaculate conception, but still supernaturally providing through the physical way for them to conceive and have a child. And so the Lord says to Mary, hey, your relative is also pregnant. Implication, why don't you go hang out with her? And so what does Mary do? Mary goes to spend time with Elizabeth. Now, this was no small thing. Elizabeth didn't live next door. She lived 50 to 70 miles away. So this young, teen, pregnant mom whose husband is considering divorce, makes the long walk to Elizabeth's house. Now, why did she go there? People have hazarded different guesses as to why she went there. 
One of the, the theories is that she went there for her physical safety. This is the idea that because of her unexpected pregnancy, that maybe there was some vigilante justice that was wanting to be enacted on the streets of Nazareth. Um, that's a, a theory, but honestly, the text doesn't give us any reason to think that she had any reason to fear for her physical safety. So if it wasn't for her physical safety that she left and went, why did she go? Friends, I think she went there for her encouragement. I think the Lord knew that she needed to be cared for in this moment. She needed to be reminded that God was with her, and the way that God was going to do that was not by sending an angel to sit on her bedside, but to send her to the one person in all the world who knew something about a supernatural pregnancy. And so she walks 50 to 70 miles to spend time with her cousin, Elizabeth. She she walks in, and the encouragement begins. What did it look like? Well, we've, we've, we've seen it in these verses. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, in other words, you know, Mary, Elizabeth, when those words are spoken, suddenly the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb leaps. What does that feel like? As a man, I have no idea. But it felt like something. Elizabeth felt something different. The baby in her womb, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, leapt when Jesus was present. Now, just think about that for a moment. Those people, John in Elizabeth's womb, Jesus in Mary's womb, they're leaping for joy even though they're in the womb. We see in this moment an encouragement and a reminder that God is with Mary. Next thing that happens, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She begins to speak. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Mary, blessed are you. And Mary might have made that long walk thinking, I am not blessed. I don't know what's going on. My husband's considering divorce, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, this is very confusing time for me. She walks in. What, what is it that Elizabeth says to her? Mary, you are blessed. Blessed among women are you. It's a reminder that God was with her. Blessed also is the fruit of your womb. This child is no accident. He's the product of God. He's a gift. He's a blessing. Not only that, but she continued and said, and why is this granted to me, Elizabeth says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary's wondering, who is this child that I'm carrying? I mean, they, the, did, did Mary, Mary, did you know? I mean, she, I guess she didn't know. They, they just had told her that this was going to be the Son of God. But here she is in this moment, still trying to process what all that meant. And Elizabeth's first words to her are, hey, guess what? The baby inside of you is my Lord. Is, not will be, is. An acknowledgement that she was carrying the Son of God. She said, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed. In other words, Mary, you have responded exactly correctly. How does God provide for Mary? How does God remind Mary that he is with her? He does so through the ministry of Elizabeth and the Spirit of God working through her. Now, friends, 
this is a truth that is, is not just true of Mary and Elizabeth. But I think this is something that has great application for you and me. Because we might wonder, is God with us? Is God with us? I mean, I've heard a sermon that said that God's with us, but is God really with us? Well, the scriptures tell us emphatically that God is with us. The Holy Spirit, if we have trusted in Christ, God has sent his Holy Spirit to reside on the interior of your life. Ephesians chapter 1 says, from the moment of belief, we have been sealed by the Spirit. Jesus would say in the Gospel of John that the Spirit guides us into all truth. Galatians will tell us that the Spirit will empower us to live the life that God has called us to live. So is God with us? Absolutely God is with us. And the Spirit is evidence of that. But God reminds us that he's with us, not just through the work of the Spirit on the interior of our lives, but through the work of the Spirit among the body of Christ around us. See, God still ministers to us through his people. And and if this is true, if it was true of Mary, if if it's true of us today, then what are some ways we might seek to apply this reality? Well, the first one is, is this. If God is with us, through us, then don't isolate. Don't isolate. You know, often when things get difficult, when when life is hard, when circumstances weigh us down, we want to isolate away from others. Sometimes we isolate even in a crowd by the way we kind of shut down in our interactions with others. Other times we isolate by not even placing ourselves among others. But if God is with us through us, then we ought to be encouraged and reminded to continue to meet with others. That's true of our reasons for gatherings on Sundays. It's true of why we have small groups and and we have opportunities to gather as a church family throughout the week. We don't isolate because we believe that God is with us through us. And if this is true, then we ought to have an expectation as we interact with others that, that God might use us to minister to others as we interact. See, we're more than just a room full of people. We're a room full of ministers. We're a room full of people. If you have trusted in Christ, we're a room full of people who have the Holy Spirit of God residing within us, and God wants to encourage those around you that he is with them through you. Someone's weeping, we can weep with them, a reminder that God sees them in their pain. Someone is rejoicing, we can rejoice with them, reminding that God is celebrating with them in their celebration. Someone's got questions, we can listen, and we can point them to God's truth because... God cares and he wants to guide them. And many times the way that God will guide will be through us. So the first thing that we see that Mary treasured was this conversation with Elizabeth. And I think from that, you and I might might take as an application that God is with us and he's with us through us. There's a second conversation that I want us to look at today. And the second one happens not before Jesus is born, but actually after Jesus is born. Now, when I, when I say that, some of you are going, wait a second. Are you telling me that we're skipping all of the scriptural accounts of the birth of Jesus for the rest of the Christmas season? The answer to that is no. We're going to go back and we're going to see Jesus' birth. But today, as we look at these conversations that Mary treasured, I want us to look at a conversation that happened not the day that Jesus was born, but 33 days after Jesus was born. And it's the conversation that happens with two people, one named Simeon, the other named Anna, in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. 
And from that conversation, I believe that we can gain this principle that in the birth of Jesus, we find something that prepares us for death. The birth that prepares us for death. Now, where do we see that in these verses? Well, 33 days after Jesus was born, as was the custom in the Jewish law, Mary and Joseph take Jesus up to the temple where they are going to present him and offer a sacrifice of purification. When they show up at the temple, verse 25 tells us this. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, inside of these verses, we see two conversations. One conversation went with a man named Simeon, a second with a conversation with a woman named Anna. Both were people who spent an awful lot of time at the temple. Anna serving there in this role of prophetess, and Simeon probably also serving in a prophetic role, working there in the temple grounds. Now, as Jesus in the arms of Mary and Joseph showed up at the temple that day, um, Simeon notices that Jesus is the one. Now, by that, I mean that Simeon was someone who was devout. He was righteous. He, he had a relationship with God. And in, inside of that relationship, he was waiting for, longing for, what is said in the text is the consolation of Israel, the Messiah coming. And somehow in Simeon's times of prayer and study, the Lord had confirmed to him that he would not die before seeing with his own eyes the Messiah. Now, that would be a pretty amazing promise. But day after day, Simeon went to the temple, Simeon went to work, and day after day, he had not seen the Messiah. Well, 33 days after his birth, in walks Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And somehow, the Spirit of God made it clear to Simeon that Jesus was the one. Now, how did that happen? I think it happened because bells went off and it made this sound like ding, 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 ding. No, I don't know how it happened. Um, But somehow, some way, it happened that Simeon was certain that he had been confirmed that, that Jesus was the one. And so upon seeing that confirmation, what does Simeon do? 
Well, Simeon took up Jesus in his arms and he blessed God. And he said this, he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, Lord, now I can die and I can die in peace. Why could he die in peace? Because according to the word of the Lord, he had seen with his own eyes the salvation that the Lord had prepared. God had delivered on his promise. And Simeon saw in Jesus the salvation that he so desperately needed. In the birth of Jesus, Simeon understood that there was the one who would conquer death. Now, when he makes this declaration, he uses this word depart in peace. That word depart in the original Greek language is an interesting word. Warren Wiersbe helps us explore it a little bit. He says, the word depart in the Greek has served, uh, has, has several meanings, and each of them tells us something about the death of a Christian. It means to release a prisoner, to untie a ship and set sail, to take down a tent, and to unyoke a beast of burden. God's people are not afraid of death because it only frees us from the burdens of this life and leads into the blessings of the next life. So what Simeon saw in Jesus was the ability to face death set free from the bondage of sin, set free from the things that would tear us down. Simeon saw in death something positive. He could leave in peace because of what Jesus would accomplish. And this thing that Jesus would accomplish would be available not just to a few, but would be available to all. Look at how he concluded his statement. He said, Jesus is the the salvation that is prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He says, this is something that is available to all. After making that statement, we might want to take this and run with it and say that somehow Mary and Joseph would take from this that everyone would be saved because of what Jesus did. That it didn't matter what we did, but Jesus would save everyone. But what Simeon goes on to say next is really interesting. He goes on to let everyone know, including Mary and Joseph, that our response to Jesus would be critical into how we would face death in light of who he was. He says this, he, he, he blessed them. He, he said to Mary, his mother, he said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, what Simeon was saying was that because of who Jesus was and what he would do through his death on the cross, not everyone would be saved. Some would rise while others would fall. Some would believe him while others would oppose him. And the opposition of Jesus would lead to something very painful for Mary, the mother of Christ, that she would watch her son ultimately be crucified on the cross. This was all understood from the beginning. Maybe they didn't know all of the details, but this was the plan and it was unfolding in their midst. 
And it reminds us that Jesus and the salvation that he offers that helps prepare us to face death with peace requires our response. It requires our response. Simeon understood that seeing Jesus and believing in him led to departing in peace, but seeing Jesus and rejecting him would lead to judgment one day. Our response matters. Well, after making this statement, Anna walks in. She hears what has been said, and then she responds this way. She says, Anna, coming up at that very hour, gave thanks to God, and she began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She did not keep this message to herself, but she went and proclaimed it to all who would hear. Friends, this is the appropriate response. If if we find someone who can defeat death, why would we keep a relationship with that person to ourselves? Would we not take that message and share it with others that they may be saved as well? That's what Anna models for us. And it's an appropriate response for us this Christmas season. And so we see this conversation with Simeon and we see this conversation with Anna and it reminds us that there is a birth that prepares us for death. But how might we respond to this message? Well, a few thoughts. The first thought is this, the gospel prepares people for death. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, doesn't the gospel prepare us for life? And the answer to that, of course, is yes. In Jesus, we find our true meaning. In Jesus, we find our true purpose. In Jesus, we see what it looks like to truly live a life that is glorifying to God. And so in those ways, in what Jesus has done and through the gift of the Spirit and the proclamation of his word, we find life. But friends, let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that Jesus came and died to prepare us for death. And Jesus rose from the grave so that we might have peace in death as well. And so the question that I have for each of us is this. Like Simeon, are you ready for death? Simeon says, I can now depart in peace because my eyes have seen the salvation of God. Are you ready for death? The only way that I know of to be ready for death is to believe in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross paid the penalty for your sins. If you trust him, salvation is yours. But if you reject him, then you face death, not in peace, but awaiting judgment. And so, are you ready for death? Jesus has made it possible for us to be ready for death and depart in peace if we would but trust in him. And the second thing, Like Anna, are you telling others about the life that is found for them in the birth of Jesus? Friends, this is the motive I have in this message today. Like Anna before me, I want to stand and tell you of the salvation that is available in Christ. That we might might come and place our faith and trust in him. Friends, this morning, that there would be none who are with us today and none who are joining us online would hear these words and just think, well, isn't that a nice Christmas message? 
but that we would hear these things and we would look upon them with faith and we would trust in Christ as our rescuer of sin and judgment. If you've never done so, you can, you can do so even this morning. And friends, as we leave this place, that we might extend this message to those in our networks and invite them to trust in Christ as well. This morning, we have seen that God is with us through us, through the conversation with Elizabeth. And we've also seen that there is a birth that prepares us for death, that Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to depart this world in peace. Now, as we prepare to end our service today, we're going to remember these great truths in a a couple of ways. The first way that we're going to remember them is we're going to sing a couple of songs. We're going to sing the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, why would we sing that song on a day like today? We're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because we are going to remind each other as we sing that God is with us. He's with us in that Jesus came to us. He's with us in that the Spirit of God resides within us if we have trusted in Christ. But he's also with us in the way that we gather as representation of the body of Christ this morning. And so we will gather today and sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And then we will sing the great song, What Child Is This? And why will we sing that song today? Because even in the womb and even as a small baby, people looked at Christ and said, this, this is Christ the King. That we might make the same identification today. Now, as we sing those songs, we're going to have an opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So I would invite those who will be assisting as well as the band to go ahead and come on up at this time. Um, We have our elders this morning um, in each of the three services, some of our elders are helping assist in the serving of communion today. Um, but what we will do is, during the singing of these songs, um, if you would like to participate in communion with us, uh, Phil and Ryan will be walking down the center aisle and dismissing you an aisle at a time to come down the center aisle. This side, walking by, this side with David Williams, grabbing um, a, a single element where, that includes both bread and juice, and then this side doing the same over here with David Ridgeway. After you have received those elements, you can return to your seat down the outside. Once everyone has been served, then we will have an opportunity to eat and drink together after the conclusion of our songs. And so this meal is open to all who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, whether that is something that happened years ago or it's something you desire to do even this morning know that we would be honored if you celebrate the Lord's Supper with us today. Let me pray, and then let's sing. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great reminder today. May we respond in faith now, remembering the great truths of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.